0: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This season, all your favorites have one home for the holidays. Yours with Disney+. Plus. Merry Christmas! Moana, Woody, Buzz, Captain Marvel, Darth Vader, and Homer will all be there, so make room. Make Disney Plus your home for the holidays. Streaming Disney, Pixar, Marvel, Star Wars, Nat Geo, and 30 Seasons of the Simpsons. That's something to celebrate. Merry Christmas to you. All these and more now streaming. Go to DisneyPlus.com to sign up now.
1: Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, episode 160 I'm Missing Opinions, brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC of the Barcelona community. I'm Dan Hilton, and I am joined for show number 160 by Frances Tomas. Frances, it's the international break. How could we possibly have anything to talk about?
2: No, nothing happens in the international break. because Barcelona play. That's the end of the show. Thank you. Goodbye.
1: Wait, wait, wait. Before people leave, we do have actually a bunch of things that we don't get to talk to when there are actual matches on. So today we are talking about things like Victor Valdez being pushed out, the electronic vote being voted down, and then some other broader stroke topics as well. Then we're going to get some uh, into the nitty gritty today. Uh, I want to thank our Facebook group. We didn't actually ask for questions this week because we just wanted to go over some of these big topics that we don't usually have time to go over. And for next week as well, I want to let people know that I have some stuff, fancy stuff planned for that as well. That's related more to the bigger ideas and international break stuff uh, than it is necessarily match in, match out. So, Francesco, you ready to go?
2: Let's do this, man. I'm just delighted we're not talking about some Neymar signing or some weird thing that we him to get involved when there's no matches. So this is actually going to be very good. Let's do it.
1: Yeah, I agree. And one of the reasons we're not talking about Neymar is because instead we start with uh, the guy that I'm glad that they kept instead of signing Neymar, and that is Ousmane Dembele. Uh, and we're basically asking, is Ousmane Dembele the key to Barcelona's success? Uh, and this isn't just a knee-jerk reaction because of Barcelona's performance against Sevilla with Dembele and Artur Vidal in the lineup instead of Antoine Griezmann and Sergio Busquets. Uh, I think it's just a broader idea to how polarizing Dembele is. And that really should be more the question than whether or not he's the key to Barcelona's success. It's whether or not he really is that difference maker. And I go into this with my gut reaction saying, yes, he is that difference maker uh, for all the negativity that people uh, pour upon him. Barcelona's results with him, and even last season when he was rescuing some points, uh, he certainly is that transcendent kind of player that because of all his injuries and inconsistency and now a red card, he's just never been able to put enough matches together uh, to, to, to iron everything out. But boy, I think is he the difference maker here for Barca.
2: He is. He is. He's someone who can make a difference. Um, we said that all summer, to be fair. Uh, I, I was one that wanted Neymar to return, but I also didn't want... Dembélé to leave us either. I think they're they're both special players. Just talking about Dembélé himself, he drives me nuts. You know, he drives me crazy um, in in both sort of sides of the world as well. I think the negative for me, actually, overpowers the positive half the time because I'm just so frustrated that someone that plays professionally for Barca can be so... I think the word is clumsy. He's not even careless. I think he's just clumsy. Uh, With his final touch, his final pass, um, obviously it was better in the last match. But overall, there's always that he's going to mess it up now. He's he's done all that greatly. But no, no, that's going to be a mistake now sort of thing. And I think for me, until all of that is ironed out, he's not going to be the total player. But can he make a difference? Of course he can. You know, he's by far the fastest player that um, we've signed in recent years. Um, He's someone who is brave. He can pretty much dribble anybody. And on a good day, he's fantastic. I just hope that You know, his final product was a little bit better, like we started to see in the last match. But not just on a one-match situation, but consistently week in, week out.
1: Yeah, Barcelona didn't dominate uh, Sevilla while they did on the scoreline. Certainly, Sevilla could have been up by a few goals before that breakthrough when Barca scored those three Mm -hmm. goals in in eight minutes. Uh, But that said, even his individual stats from that game, uh, I think any negativity that could be brought on Barcelona for that match uh, and why they it took them so long to get into it, I don't think necessarily goes on the on the shoulders of Dembele. I mean, we saw that Messi grew as the match went on, right? He looked like he was more—he was just he's regaining his match fitness. And Dembele, speaking of which, also doesn't have much uh, continuity in match fitness, as we talked about this year. But look at the stats from that game. And again, this is not a knock on Messi. This is a pro-Dembele argument from me. Dembele, two shots, 84% passing success. Three completed dribbles, and he was dispossessed on three occasions. Messi, six shots to Dembele's two. He had 85 passing success over Dembele's 84 passing success. So that means that Messi completed about one or two more passes than Dembele. The difference here, Messi had 10 successful dribbles to Dembele's three, and Messi was dispossessed twice instead of the three times by Dembele. And that's actually the important thing I want to note here is that Messi was dispossessed twice. And and both of those times came in the middle of the field that led to Sevilla counterattacks, right? And the argument here is that that seems to be the game plan, right? That that, that seems to be with the direct style that uh, Valverde has has tried to cultivate a little bit it's not necessarily just running behind the defense and recycling and recycling and recycling it is a little more uh, direct at times when they're trusting the ball at the feet of Messi or Dembele to run it uh, oppositions and to unbalance things uh, and then wait for that pal- pass outlet once the number numerical advantage has occurred and so for, for me, Messi, I mean, it's not, again, a knock on him that he was dispossessed. That's the job of the of the opposition. And Barcelona still winds up winning 4 nothing. But Dembele, that's the, the, the only negative thing to me is not that he's dispossessed. And I think this is the big argument is that it's the locations in which he's dispossessed. Because just like Messi, he was dispossessed more in the center of the field. Uh, and I think the frustration that also comes from Dembele is because of his speed, right? He's the one who gets by that first line. He almost always beats his first defender, right? It's an incredible thing to see. He, he almost gets by one or two every time. And now because Barcelona have the numerical advantage, it's much more clear to us where the ball needed to go and where he didn't deliver it, right? That he's created this opportunity. He's put himself in an advantageous position, but because he's unable uh, to find that final ball or find that pass or know exactly when he needs to lay that ball off, uh, we get to see it, it, it clear as day, where the missed opportunity winds up being with him.
2: Yeah, and that's frustrating because he should see it as well. But yeah. I totally agree with you in terms of the fact that he's an annulator. He, he he gets away from the first defender every single time. He is someone who is brave. He goes to the corner and he's able to associate with those around him. But the thing is, I think it needs to be more consistent. But, you know, coming back to your point about where they are dispossessed, um, I think that every striker and certainly winger, so every forward at Barça, needs to try and make superiorities. Needs to try and beat someone, whether it's with a one-two, whether creating spaces, whether sort of running behind people's back, which is sort of Suarez's speciality, uh, since he joined us uh, back in 2015. I think everyone's got their own skills, and I, I'm not really too bothered about sort of where in the pitch they get these process because there's going to be, ideally, there's going to be at least one. Um, layer if you want to call it that of midfielders behind uh, normally it would be busquets or whoever's playing in that position and then you still got the full backs and and the center backs as well so i think that we need to in the final third we, we we need people who can unbalance and that's what dembele brings and that's what messi brings and that's what ansu Fati brings as well that's what suarez brings so i'm just happy that they're, they're trying it on that's that's the job
1: yeah i also want to mention that for me uh just Passing the eye test, the combination and partnership, and now we saw on the left side with Nelson Semedo filling in at left back for the injured Jordi Alba, that Nelson Semedo has, you know, the in my money for against Sevilla the best performance he's ever had in a Barcelona shirt, mm-hmm. uh, and yep. I, I, that combination and partnership between Dembele and Nelson Semedo just looks better than every other combination. Whether Carlos Perez and Semedo had one good performance, not, I don't remember the exact game, but they had one good performance together. But, you know, Antoine Griezmann in front of Nelson Semedo as Semedo was kind of getting acclimated to that left-back position just wasn't the same thing. And it does, you know, make me wonder, and you think about the feeling of head... When you head to the bench and watching your team succeed, it's one of the most difficult things, I think, particularly... Again, this is just, if you're playing in a Sunday league, you're wondering, you know, oh, is my team... Why are they playing so well without me? What does this mean for my future? Uh, Antoine Griezmann is sad for the very first time of the season, and Barcelona do well in this in, in this way that even Arturo Vidal also the first time he stepped in the starting lineup for Busquets, and they also play pretty well and, and dominate Sevilla. Uh, but all that said, I'm not sure if that changes any the big picture here, right? Like I, I think when push comes to shove in those big matches, at the moment it's still Griezmann, Suarez, Messi, and I, it seems like Griezmann is not going to be. Uh, unless it comes in the next on the other side of the international break, it looks like the game plan right now is to have Suarez be the number nine and then Griezmann
2: and Dembele be
1: rotating as that left wing.
2: Possibly, possibly, but the thing is Dembele doesn't even give himself a chance because he gets sent off. Fair enough. Mateo Lahoz is is um let's let's just say an adjective that I cannot really say on air. Yeah, we but, gotta, gotta keep
1: know, I uh, gotta keep we gotta keep that clean rating, Francis. So we can't talk about Lahoz. Yeah, we gotta we keep do. him off. We gotta keep we him off do. the show. So, <laughs>
2: Every, everyone listening to this, I'm sure, has got their own adjective for our <laughs> lovely referee, Mateo Laos. But anyway, um, it's self-inflicted. You know, obviously, he, the, the referee wants to be the star of the show, and he always is. Um, after, the, after the game, he's in different memes all over the world, and he must have felt so happy in his bed, you know, counting his chickens and, and going through Twitter, seeing himself, because that's definitely what he seems to love so much. It's just all about himself. But forget about the referee, because that's what he wants. That's what he wants us to do, to talk about him. Um, I think uh, Dembélé's reaction wasn't the best. And he's been sent off and now, um, only came out this afternoon, he's going to be banned for El Clásico. So that's two two games in which he's actually going to miss. And based on his performance against Sevilla, you would have thought that he would be able to regain and retain his fitness and actually keep his spot. But no, something else happens. So that's what I'll go back to all the time with Dembélé's consistency. Um Griezmann, I know that I'm probably in the minority here. I think Griezmann has done fairly well in terms of adaptation. Um, He's he's definitely not there yet, uh, but obviously he's playing out of position. Arguably, his best is as a striker, but there's someone else that has been trusted there. And I also think that his work rate, um, especially defensively, he's doing everything the coach is asking him to do. And I think that's a positive. Obviously, things are not working for him just now, and he's got not just Dembélé but also Fatih behind, and to to you know with a push, even Carlos Perez ready there as well. So he needs to work for his place in order to regain it. But the thing is, Dembélé just gave it back to him in a plate.
1: Yeah, it's funny. Somebody put on Twitter a few weeks ago that the Double Pivot uh, podcast with Mike Goodman, who's been on our show uh, in years past, they analytically looked at uh, Antoine Griezmann at Barcelona and, you know, they basically said it's been an atrocity. Um, And then you and I here on our show, we look at it uh, with more of the eye test even. Now I'll look at the advanced metrics, but again, for Griezmann, so much of what he does in terms of his effort uh, and what he does defensively, because that doesn't show up in the advanced metrics, uh, even on a heat map, um, it doesn't really tell you what kind of passing length he's cutting down. Some again, the advanced defensive a game plan that he's enacting that Valverde has put forth. Uh, it, it makes it difficult to look at him analytically. Uh, and as I said too, I, I think the big, biggest key for me, even almost reversing this one, isn't necessarily even Dembélé and what he changes as being, you know, as we like to call the wild card here. But if Griezmann can figure out a way, and he hasn't again had any time to, if he finds a partnership with Suarez and Messi, and that trio becomes the trident that they're expected to be, because this will take time. Messi played his first 90 minutes of the season, so it's going to take a little bit of time for Griezmann to get accustomed to those two. Uh, in the same way that every time Dembélé comes back, you look at the the trio of Suarez, Messi, and now Dembélé, and over after being together now, after being together now for now two years that. Dembele is finally found his feet alongside those two. And it's going to take a little bit of time for Griezmann uh, to do that just the same. So I think that'll wrap up that topic. But for the rest of our show, uh, we're going to be answering a question from Rick without really giving an answer because there's really no answer to this. But it's a rhetorical question that we're going to have a, a bunch of different topics related to. Who truly knows what's best for this club? Board members, coaches, players, retired legends, fans, or socios? Or podcast host, Frances. Uh, so we're going to hope that the, it's the last answer podcast host, and we're going to start by discussing the electronic vote situation that occurred last week at the, at the regular meeting. Now, the backstory behind this, uh, Victor Font, that's the name to know here, announced himself as a candidate for the presidency in June of 2018 for the election in the summer of 2021. Uh, All the way back in May of 2015 was when you would have first heard about him, presented his plan uh, for FC Barcelona. uh, That was heard by some. And this electronic vote, uh, obviously, it is exactly what it sounds like. It would allow socios to vote electronically, and about 5,000 socios had signed the proposal for voting electronically uh however the electronic vote did not pass it needed two-thirds of the vote from socios that were in attendance there at the meeting with jose bartimeo and company uh it had 359 votes for 173 votes against and 67 abstained and so doing all that math here they got 359 of the 417 required votes so therefore there will be no electronic voting at the 2021 elections uh francis uh, you know again we stay out of politics but as far as this kind of thing the club politics uh, is uh, I, would you have been a yay or a nay on this one
2: I would have, I would have gone for it of course um, everything that is moving things on and making process more modern and transparent should, should be celebrated so I would definitely have voted for yes um, having said that back to your sort of original question in terms of who knows best for the club? Well, all of us. You know, Barca is a club that is plural. Like we say in Spanish, It's, it's for, it belongs to everyone. Um, it isn't owned by uh, some sort of billionaire person that tells us all what to do. It is, it is a community. It is a community that these days is worldwide. Obviously, because of um, the origins of the club and where the club sort of was 50, 60 years ago, um, it is a democracy in terms of the sausage. The club members are the ones that vote and decide. Um, I do know, obviously, that it's hard for people from outside Barcelona and 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 Spain and, and Catalonia to to vote and have their say. I do know that the club makes it very hard for people to maintain their membership card. So, for example, um, you need to travel to to Catalonia in order to renew your your club membership, carnet, so your actual card. Um, I think it's every single year if you want to keep it. So that's very impractical for a lot of people. So they don't make it easy. But then again, that is what the sources themselves have decided to do. Um, It's not a club that sort of was created yesterday morning. It is a club that's going for 120 years. And, you know, there's things that are ingrained that have always been like that. And the sources are the ones that have the power at the moment because that's how the club works. And they have got the rules and regulations. I think for a vote to pass two. What is two thirds uh, to have to agree? I think that's that's a bit much, uh, but that's what has been decided, and that's what the statutes say. So it's in a democracy, you need to go by what the democracy says, and if the people with the right to vote have decided that should stay as it is, or haven't voted against it, put it that way, then it's how it needs to stay, whether we like it or not.
1: Yeah, there's always such big things at play here, where uh, there there might be decisions to be made, and the way that. Obviously, we on the outside of things speak about money related to the club. Uh, again, because it's not our money, it does seem like this just never-ending well uh, of cash. But in the same respect, it is funny that uh, the I think fans in the modern era they speak about their clubs fiscally, right? That the what what makes me so uncomfortable about Coutinho coming the first time was just the the sheer amount of money it costs for a player that might not have succeeded. And in it's it's obviously in hindsight that. Coutinho not doing well and now doing great at Bayern Munich, you know, it makes that look even worse that that kind of money was spent. And again, for me, that was the biggest thing that made me uncomfortable at Neymar. That if I feel like uh, a guy like Neymar handcuffs the team for years and years and years, and production of one player, if it's not Lino Messi, the production of one player uh, shouldn't be making or breaking your team but then you have those guys that are those pieces like a Frankie de Young and you say okay well how much is a player like that worth to be brought into the club same thing with uh Artur was got at a, at a bargain but what if Barcelona doesn't scout him for another year and now you have all that competition how much would Artur have been worth at the time and it and that's just the players coming in but there's so many other things at play whether it's sponsorships and that's really where the money comes from and for Barcelona, you know, how much do we know about uh, the, the relationship between Rakuten with all the different other sponsors? All we knew that we could hang our hat on for all those years was the relationship with UNICEF. But even then, you can go on UNICEF and you about on the internet and read a ton of negative stuff about UNICEF. So there is so much at play here that uh, not just for electronic vote, but I just mean at these kind of meetings that uh, with those on the outside, you don't really understand nuance, right? And I think what I'll sum that up by saying, who truly doesn't know best for the club? It's basically Twitter and the entire world at large, where it does take, (laughs) to understand this club, it does take week in and week out. And this isn't a us patting, I mean, it's not me patting us on the back for credibility, but, you know, Francis, you and I are involved in what's going on with this club day in and day out, and yet I believe that, you know, most of the board members know best, uh, and it's the same thing we say about Valverde. Well, Valverde might not know best because... Uh, we a lot of people have different opinions of him, but at the end of the day, if he wins a Champions League trophy, we're not going to pat ourselves on the back. That's Ernest Valverde who would have made those decisions to get himself there. Same thing, the players win it, you know, not us. So then, for those who care about the product and understand what's happening behind the scenes, you know, retired legends—that's what we're going to talk about on the other side of the break, actually, uh, and what kind of uh, effect they have uh, on the team. So we're going to hit the ad break and be back in just a second. All right. So, thankfully, during that I break, nothing big happened. There was an interview uh, that Messi gave about wanting to leave because of all the tax situation that was going on. That was happening while he was also getting injured back around the uh, the Tata Martino era that we all try to forget. Anyway, we're still back from the ad break, and Messi's still at the club, so that's great. But one guy who's not is another guy who won the Champions League with him, and that is Victor Valdez. Uh, Frances, what a rollercoaster here. What a story. And this is one of those where, with Patrick Kluivert being the head of Barcelona's Aca- of academy, it seems to be uh, those two locking horns in, in, in a really negative way, uh, and it seems like—how I, I how do I say this? It's, it seems as if Aids are almost being, uh, being forced to pick sides, but— I don't see how you don't just go with the Barcelona Academy uh, director in Patrick Kluivert and and stick with the club and say that Victor Valdez pushed the the lines. But in the same way, Valdez, in his few short months in charge of the Juvenil Oz, he brought up some concerning topics, right? I think that's what it is, that he brought up some troubling things about the club, yet he was still in the wrong and was probably going to be on his way out anyway.
2: It's a complicated one. Um, It is a complicated one. And, And the thing is, we've got the experience of knowing Valdez as a player. Um, I actually knew him before. He, he started playing for the first team, sort of growing up. And uh, I remember, because my brother was at La Masia at the time, um, with, with, uh, with Andres, with Andres Iniesta. And Iniesta was very close to Valdez. And uh, out of um, a lot of players growing up, you know how in La Masia you need to be a particular way in terms of humble, in terms of, um, you know, not thinking too highly of yourself. Valdez was different, man. Like, I remember him walking around um, La Masia like he owned the place, which in a way probably he did at the time, Um, going to see matches where Andres was playing and my brother was playing. And, you know, he always had this aura of being superior to people sort of thing. Um, Obviously, he grew up throughout the years. Um, He was very successful for us. He was a a crucial um, key. He was amazing for us for many years. Um, He was probably the... Ideal of Barca goalkeeper until obviously Ter Stegen is there now so arguably you know there's a debate there to be had in the future once, definitely once um, Ter Stegen retires but he always had uh, an aura of being difficult sort of thing or, or loving himself way too much mm-hmm. um, obviously very, very outspoken as well and uh, that was reflected on the way he left the club you know obviously he told us he was leaving I think it was 18 months before his contract was up something absurd and uh, that unsettled... I was working for ESPN at the time, so I remember writing about this. And um, he basically told us way too early. So, so it left a gap in the goal that obviously Thubizarreta, in hindsight, covered really well with Claudio Bravo and definitely Ter Stegen as well. But he was one of the captains and there was no need to do that. It was as if he was putting himself before the club sort of thing in order to secure a great contract. Um, fast forward, I think it was probably 12, 15 months, and he had it all done for Monaco, which, to be honest, was a weird choice because yeah. out of all the clubs in, in Europe that he could have gone to, basically he could have picked pretty much anything and anywhere, he went for the one that gave him the most money. And then, unfortunately, for all of us, but definitely for him, he got injured on the last game at the Camp Nou um, after a corner, sort of picking up a ball in the air and landing very awkwardly. And long story short, he was gone from football for the next two, three, I would say years even. And he was never the same again. But um, mm-hmm. he then went and disappeared from, from the spotlight. He didn't want to speak to anyone. And, you know, it's sort of, a, it's sort of an awkward way to, 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 to go from everything to nothing. Uh, but then again, everyone is different. So I was really surprised when the club actually came back uh, with the news that Valdez was rejoining again. Um, I mean, he started... He did his coaching bits and pieces, his degree. I think he was in the same class as Xavi and Raúl at the time. And, you know, I would have never thought that he would come back to Barça, definitely not so early and definitely not with the current board. Um, he was working in Madrid. Uh, I can't remember the exact team, probably Maja da Onda or something like that. And um, then Barça, he was in the juveniles there and he was signing for Barça Juvenil. I thought it was a weird choice, but then again, he's a club legend, so given the benefit and... Um, You know, everything that I hear from my friends, uh, from the press and the environment in Barcelona is that it's actually been quite difficult. Um, We know that in La La Masia you always, you know, for the last 20, 25 years, you stick for the 4-3-3 formation. And that's that's what the expectation is. And... To be honest, I'm with the board and with Clover and saying, this is what we asked you to do. This is what the job is. This is what you need to do. And uh, I do know that in La Masia, because I've lifted, you know, my family have lifted, my brother has lifted. Um, in La Masia, there are certain players that are prioritized because they have got they have got that, that spark uh, and they've got that sort of long-term trust. So, for example, Iniesta had it, Jorge troiteiro had it. Andreu, Font- Andreu, not fantas, but Andreu, I can't remember his surname. But in my brother's team at the time, they were trusted more than the others because the, the coaches had seen something on them. So Valdez didn't want to obey by that either, and you know, then he went public. He complained about not being able to use the the playing field as a training pitch, which you know has never been done in, to my knowledge, in the history of La Masia. So it's a lot of. Disagreements and you know, he knew what the job was. He wasn't mm-hmm. the club for what 20 25 years, so none of these would have come to him as a surprise. And you know, if he negotiated, I don't, I wasn't there obviously, but if he negotiated to come back to Barca and didn't speak out of those points and then he was surprised about those points, that's that's a bit bizarre to me.
1: Yeah, uh, first, I, I do want to say, uh, Lee Roden had a good article about Victor Valdez and leaving the club and what you had talked about when he first left the club as a player Uh, that's in Talk Sport. if you want to check that out and yeah I I got images as you were speaking of Andres Iniesta being on the field when it was time for him to leave Barcelona and go to Japan and so it wasn't necessarily that he was retiring being Iniesta but he was moving on from Barcelona and Valdez who probably should have had maybe not a similar uh, exit Andres Iniesta really winds up just being that much more special, right? Class A. Um, but Valdez, Danny Alves, uh, there's that second crop in in the, that degener- that generational group. And obviously, I know that Valdez came from La Masia and Danny Alves didn't. And that's probably an argument that Valdez coming from La Masia probably should have been honored in a way that he wasn't. But clearly, obviously, he didn't put that to uh, Take that to heart and you mentioned a ton of different things that I want to give context on, uh, Frances here. We're gonna start with that four-four-two, four-three, three, and you really did sum that up. That the issue I think for me the issue actually was not that Valdez was playing at four four two, but that it was, you know, it's not the system straight from the lowest level in the academy to the first team like we talk about, where the counter argument to that is that Valverde had played a four-four-two that being Ernesto Valverde had played a 4 for 2 in his first year before switching back to the 4-3-3. Three, three. And so there, there is no promise that there's going to be continuity between the lowest level of the academy all the way to the first team, and it also brings up the point that what if the personnel on your team requires a different formation? And we and I want to remind people that that juvenile A squad, as we talk about, that's the the generation with Pablo Moreno, who's now moved to Juventus, and Roberto Navarro, who's a, we also see a dad uh, after being at Monaco. There's just a ton of talented players that wound up uh, leaving who would, in theory, be in that who we know, Osquad, this year. So what if Victor Valdez has personnel that fits the 4-4-2 better than the 4-4-3? Looking at the pragmatism of Barcelona, uh, you know we think back to Juan Román Raquelme, whose Barcelona career was dictated, as he was a, a guy who was played out of position at Barcelona, it was dictated by the belief that Louis van Gaal had in his system remembering that Van Hall was brought in as a sort of return to the ideas that Barcelona had recently built their philosophy on under Johan Cruyff, right? uh, Van Hall was supposed to be, you know, we're going back to Mm -hmm. Dutch total football 2.0, so Komi winds up playing out of position, you know, and so that says that's a counter argument that Valdez was just trying to play what was going to get results and what was best for his personnel, but then we're going to go the counter-counter argument, and for those, you know, understanding Lamassi from the outside, even though that he's working with kids that are 17, 18, 19 years old, as a Juvenil A, that really is that final season before Barca B, that these players have to get ready to be full professionals when they're not, when they're still in La Masia and they're not playing professional matches with Barcelona B in that, uh, in the second or third division in Spain. So Valdez needs to continue to play that four three three and continue to push home and really finalize all of their education at, at La Masia. He's that final safeguard, uh, being the Juvenil A coach before they go on to be professionals.
2: Uh- the La Masia system that basically Cruyff installed um, well, nearly 30 years ago now, it's all about creating players that have got a very specific skill and they've got a very specific understanding of the game and they, they understand that position. Obviously, there's people like Sergio Roberto that can play anywhere uh, and that's the beauty of it. But they, they they design number 10s, number 8s, number 4s, number 11s, number 3s, number 2s. So wherever you are in the scheme, for example, Xavi. I watched an interview with Xavi probably four-year-old interview the other day on YouTube because um, I'm sad and that's what I do in my spare time because I just wanted to see what what he was saying and, and his understanding. And, and he touched on that. He said, when I came to the first team, I was a four. I was a Guardiola. I was a Cuatro, And um, everything I did in La Masia, it was to be like Guardiola. So there's people in La Masia now that want to be like Busquets. There's people in La Masia now that want to be like, probably would have been Neymar or would have been Stojko or would have been any of the wingers that La Masia have produced in terms of... I don't know, Pedro, for example. So they are very specific um, roles that we want to sp- be specialists at. Obviously, it comes to a point, especially at first-team level, I would, I think even Basavini to play the same way, to be honest. But at first-team level, the, the, the coach has got all of the ingredients, all of the tools already sort of made, and then he can use them in whichever way he feels necessary. I still think the first team should be a 4-3-3, but that's probably me being too traditional. But the thing is, the La Masia system produces players that are one of those specific numbers and that has been going on for 20 30 years and um, with all due respect i don't think a coach is more important than the idea so if Victor tovades isn't following he needs to go sorry that, if that's a bit harsh but the idea has to be above the names
1: yeah, and it wasn't just about the 4-3-3. I know this is the thing we've started with, but you also alluded to a bunch of the other uh, minor transgressions, <laughs> we'll call them, where he was upset for the lack of games for the Juvenal A at the new Estadia Johan Cruyff, which is the stadium of Barcelona B, who, by the way, do play a 4-3-3 under Pimienta, uh, and the Barcelona Femini. Uh He apparently skipped a coach's meeting. The first thing he ever did was he... with. Drew his team from the uh, Otan Cup, which is a youth tournament in the Netherlands, citing that he didn't like the short rest periods between matches. Uh, he also was handed a UEFA sanction after his team showed up late in their home match. That being, and I want to reiterate that the home match against Inter Milan in the UEFA Youth League, uh, for which he lost both of the youth league games against Borussia Dortmund and Inter Milan. Even though he went, he's been undefeated in the league in the uh, in the in the U19 league in in uh, in Spain. He still wound up losing both youth league games, um, and that does bring up the question of: uh, Doesn't matter if your winning matches are not at that level? The answer is still no, but in the same regard, at that, at that age, as these players are 17, 18, 19 years old uh, for the juvenile Oz, that you expect that for those players to be kind of ready for the first team, they probably are going to be winning most of their matches. And those things wind up going hand in hand. So it's, it's not that results are the only thing that matters. It's fine if they wind up losing to Bruce Dorman Inter Milan. But the strength of La Masia is the fact that it's one of the best academies in the world. So there is almost a built-in expectation that they're going to be winning UEFA th- Youth League games.
2: Mm-hmm. And also, the competition is is not at the highest level in terms of, you know, having different ages playing. Because if you're in the under 19s, uh, you're normally playing against 19-year-olds. Uh, maybe you got some 18s and 17-year-olds there, but that's that's a huge minority. Um, just one little pincelada, just one little point before we we move on here. Um, Barça doesn't just sort of focus on the skills of football, whether you are good at dribbling, or passing, whatever. It's also about the image. It's also about the values, and it's also about the 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 way that you portray yourself and you portray the club. Like you know, say that that tournament you said in the summer, he knew what the breaks were between the matches before he went to it, mm-hmm. or, or at least he should have known. You know, like if I enter a competition, I should read the rules before I enter it. You know, it's not that we in they say there's seven days in a competition. By the sixth day, I don't like the rules, so I quit. That's not that's not something you should do, and that's not something that you know you should be leading a group of sort of wannabe world superstars, um, but it's not the way to lead them. That's not a good example. You need to be a role model. And, you know, you, you, you can't have someone who's leading a group of youngsters, which, you know, they're 17, 18, 19 years old. They're still very influential. You can't just be, you know, whether you agree with the board or not, you can't just go public and say all of that, especially when, you know, you're coaching an under-19 team. This, you're not you know, you're, you're suckable, you know, you're not, you're not the first team coach, you're not on 10 million euros a, a year. I, I, I honestly, I think, I think he messed it up for himself.
1: Yeah, I he think really al- do. also, also the, uh, the, the bout of profanity he had that got him kicked out of a match also doesn't, isn't a good look as well. You talk about image. No. That's, that's, you make the headlines, that being Valdez. Um, how many years can, do you go by without the, the common, regular, obviously he's a legend that would, that comes with the name, but you know, in in a case like this, you should just probably hear him sign up and say, "Oh, Victor Valdez is the coach of the Juvenile Oz." And for those fans who are not really paying attention so much to the Juvenile Oz or lower levels, now we do here on the show because we're hosting a podcast about it. Uh, but in the same respect, you would hear Valdez is signed up. He's now the manager, and then you hear, you know, give or take some matches. Oh, he did well here, or this is this good thing about this. Um, but in the first few months. The human L A coach at a club should not be getting this much press, and if he is, it's no. probably negative press. And so that's where the uh, you know that profanity outrage was, was, I think, one of his worst transgressions. Again, it's setting a terrible example for um, what are still teenagers and what are still kids. And speaking of that, you alluded to another thing that I want to—the final point about Victor Valdez here—and I think what may have been one of the biggest causes to the the final blowout that happened uh, the the what seemed to be the week before he was he was not he was kicked out. There was a disagreement over the playing time of Iyash e. Moriba. Now the backstory behind this: 16-year-old Ias Mariba, who we have talked about a plenty on this pod before. He and Ansu Fati got their renewals this past year as they turned 16. Uh, while other players, you know, who we've mentioned before, including Xavi Simons, who went to PSG, Mariba and Fati are those two are the two players in the Masia over the last two three years that Barcelona have circled and said these are the these is our future. These are the future first teamers. We can't really spend money on every on everybody, and with all these young, you know, all these teenagers asking for a lot more money we have to say no we have to draw the line in the sand some way but mariba and fati were given contracts uh that that the barcelona officials said these guys have to be worth it we have to budge a little bit right and so mariba apparently was benched by valvez so he went to his parents and then they went to uh they went to uh the the, the uh personnel Clovert and they said that they had a problem with it uh, and then Clovert obviously starts to reprimand Val uh, Valdez and now the and this brings up two arguments right and i think everybody's it's odd that it seems like everyone's agreeing but there's still also this undertone of Nobody's really right here. That we always believe that for Mariba, he just has to trust for for the player, for the teenager. You have to believe that they have to trust in the system and they have to trust with what works. And even if you are the top prospect in La Masia, because fati right now is with the first team, even if you're one of the top prospects in La Masia, you have to just trust your coaches and believe in the system uh, and be patient and all those different things here. Uh, but in the same regard, uh, the why would Valdez? It, it almost seems to be malpractice for a manager not to be playing his, uh, to my money already his best player, right? Like why is his best player on the bench for what seems to be? It's not like a messy reason when Valverde puts Messi on the bench and when Messi is sitting se- is, is sitting. But why is why is Valdez not playing his best player? It doesn't make you know it doesn't really make a lot of sense unless it is some kind of reasoning and for that Valdez didn't give a reason like effort or being late to it wasn't some kind of disciplinary thing or lesson to be learned it just seemed like that was the idea tactically or personnel wise that he had uh, to bench his best player but in the same regard you know it's not a defense of Moriba that he his parents then had to go above Valdez's head and go to Cloyvert and complain and and make it into something more than it probably should have been because this is a kind of situation that should have been handled in-house that we in the media should never have heard about honestly we should never have heard about this kind of situation it should have just happened behind the scenes and yet here it is in 2019 this kind of information gets out and it just looks like a black mark for everybody it looks like Moriba's a um can't handle the pressure of being put on the bench or he's just mentally not strong enough for that and it makes valdez look like he's just impractical and doesn't play his his best player
2: it's it's a mess it really is a mess um I, I believe that players should only play if they deserve it, in terms of they earn it on, on training. Um, I also believe that, that this, this is why it's a mess, because it's contradicting even what I'm going to say now. I think that winning doesn't really matter at juvenile level. Um, but then again, versus juvenile considering the, 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 the power of acquisition that they have, the power of attraction they have for great players, they normally win most of the games anyway. Um, and I think, long story got short. You know, if he disagreed, he knows what that is. That that's. And I'm going back to the same point, but you know what it works. You know what it is. You've experienced it. Probably he's it himself. He was one of the protected ones. I know that Andres certainly was. So not that he didn't deserve it, of course. But you know how how it works. If you disagree with the board that much, then do like Puyol did. Don't join. Don't rejoin. Puyol yeah. had an offer um, to come back. I think it was a sporting director or whatever it was very recently, and he said. Thank you very much, but no, thank you. And that's what Valdez should have done because honestly he's just he's just made a fool of himself for the last three months, to be honest.
1: Yeah, and I think the final point here is again the other weird undertone that Valdez, we can all admit, did a lot of things that were incorrect. And it is surprising that Valdez chose to come back under the current board. Because again, this isn't a knock on the board or a knock on those retired legends, but it seems like a combination of Puyol and Xavi and we thought Valdez weren't really the biggest fans of the of the club and I think to go all the way back to Rick's question that I think fans and and uh and not necessarily socios but I think just fans at large tend to take the side and they, they tend to support the retired legends in these arguments right when when guys in suits who didn't really ever play on the field it's hard to know how much they care and love the club and I think that does bias our opinion a little bit that we wind up you know we know that that Xavi has bled and he would have died for that the crest he would have died for the the badge and so we know same thing with Puyol every every 90 minutes the guy was willing to kill himself for Barcelona so we got to see firsthand what the club meant to those guys and so we can't really see what the club means to guys in suits who who are just you know a lifetime either non-football guys, whether they're you know more into politics or more into the financial side of things. Uh, but we, yeah, we don't really know how much the suits believe in the crest and believe in all those things. We, we just think that they can get a paycheck. So uh, without being able to see how much the guys that we put in charge of the club being the board members, until we see how much they care, which there's really no way of doing, we almost have to have a faith that they want what's best for the club. In the way that retired legends, we almost instinctively understand that they Obviously, want what's best for Barcelona, right? Right. It's, it's this odd it's mm. this odd undertone.
2: Yep. Yep. Agreed.
1: So where we're gonna finish up here is uh, just a quick discussion. Um, it's it's not a it's not our Ernesto Valverde bashing that we're gonna be doing, but there is this. Uh, this over the international break, you always see a conversation happening about, and this was in sport, that Ernesto Valverde, he's had 14 Masia debuts under him, which is a great number. And we applaud that number. It's awesome that he's getting, he's looking at some of the youth players and giving them an opportunity. However, I want to read those 14 names for you, Frances, uh, starting with Jose Manuel Arnath uh, who signed from Real Valladolid. He's now with Legan S. Marco Correa, we talked about him before in this show. Uh, he's been loaned out to Ibar and Hatafe, uh, you know since since debuting for barcelona Oro busquets who's now uh with fent in holland out on loan and uh david costas who came over on loan from celta de vigo and is back uh after barcelona did not pick up his option to sign him permanently ricky puj no need to be said more about him juan miranda who is now on that two-year loan to Schalke. chumi who is still with barcelona b jorge cuenca same thing with barcelona b uh, Musso Vage, who as we know is in the first team But he hasn't played yet this season After being promoted to the first team Alex Callado, who has made a few appearances And is currently one of the best players of Barcelona B still Abra Ruiz, same thing, is starting for Barça B But has yet to really feature too much for the first team Other than a few occasional offers to play And then Carlos Perez, who came up this uh, this season But he did make his debut last year And finally we rounded out with this year's Ansu Fadi And uh, Ronald Arajo. Now, when I went through that entire list here, 14 players, and you got names like Puj, you've got names like Vage, Perez, Fati, Arajo this year, and going back to Cucurella and Oro Busquets, you did have some of the bigger names in La Masia and guys that uh, we believed were going to be first-team players, but the counter-argument into this is, look at those 14 players, right, that even though they made their debuts... Did they really get to feature, or have they made that step up to the first team? And the answer across the board is no. Even Carlos Perez, who looks like he's been the closest, uh, and Fati looks like he will eventually be, you know, guaranteed. I think he's the number one coming out of this whole list, even above Puj, because Puj has yet to really feature at all. Hasn't featured this year yet. Uh, we'll see him in Copa del Rey, but... That's It means that he has the same role in the first team that he did last year, if he just appeared in Copa del Rey matches. So, you know, the argument here is that, well, Valverde, that number 14 looks awful great. Uh, If you don't integrate any of these players fully into the first team, then I don't think that's what we're applauding. I think it should be we can applaud Valverde for, or any manager at Barcelona, right? That's why the difference is we give compliments to Pep, uh, Pep Guardiola because he, not only did he give debuts, but... Busquets and Pedro became full-time players, right? He They became important features of that team. So the, I, I think the jury will not be out on how many debuts Valverde gives, but instead how many players wind up making the full step up to the first team. Because even Vage at the moment doesn't count because he is with the first team, but that was just contractual. He had to move up to the first team um, when they signed him, and now he's not playing and probably going to go out on loan in January.
2: Yep, and it's whether you do it for the right reasons or you don't. I mean... If I was, I could be appointed manager tomorrow, and I could beat that record in two matches. Just put the whole of Barça B and Juvenila in the next two matches. You got thirty new players, you know. It's the, the <laughs> list and the number doesn't doesn't mean anything. And no wins. You have, I above. don't
1: think you have any wins from that one either, Frances. <laughs> you put well, in... you
2: don't know. You never know. Maybe not in the first month, but you know, if you trust Barça B for a while, they would they would become good players. I'm mean, gonna yeah, I tell I you that. But the, the thing is. It's, it's about, it's what you say, it's about the quality rather than quantity. You know, like it's, it looks like Fatih is going to be one to stay. Um, I think he's still got a couple of years to actually be a regular sort of even coming off the bench. Um, but, you know, that's me probably being too conservative for everyone's liking. But I think that that's what reality would be. I think that Ricky Pucci has been. He's been left in Barca for a reason, and he's to mature and to, to grow in strength, and more than that, in terms of uh, composure. Also, the fact that there are, what, seven or eight midfielders in Barca's first team that all really want to play. Like, in terms of, you know, Rakitic isn't even seeing much playing time. So, adding to that mix would be counterproductive it just he, he won't play he wouldn't play and he would be experiencing what waga is experiencing now so and i Alenia.
1: think is Alenia. t- a big elenya is a big name
2: here right that Alenia's yeah, Alenia's not... is an x-files yeah, yeah Alanya is the x-files we don't really know what's happening with him um he's like he's gone to stranger things in the upside down sort of thing that i've been watching lately so there you go it's a, a bit of a reference for geeks but anyway um don't know what's happening with him but ricky putsch i think he's just having a having a consolidation season in Barcelona, and I don't think that's a bad idea, to be honest, especially if he's not going to start and feature. Um, so out of those 14, I think Valverde has done it more out of need than anything. Like Every time he's called up like Cucurella, is because someone was injured. When he called up um, Arnaiz, it's because no one was working. <laughs> you know, no yeah, one, I remember no that, one was yeah. doing what they were meant to do, and uh, he just used that as a, as a resort. I think with Abel Reith, it's different. Abel Reith is one of the what we said in the previous conversation, one of the protected ones that should be making it. And if, if Abel Ruiz has made the debut for the first team, he's more on that than on actual merit, to be honest, based on his performances. Um, not for Spain, because he's great for Spain and in the under-19s um, and 17s. But um, yeah, everyone has debuted for different reasons. But I think the ones to stay are Fatih for sure and Puch hopefully in a year as well.
1: Yeah, I agree. Abel Ruiz, I have to make mention, he's been playing better with the B team this season. Uh, and I just, again, want to remind people that he was basically the youngest at all these different age groups. And even when he made his debut for Barca, uh, for Barcelona, the A team, he was younger than his... And his generation with Cayado and Puj. Uh, he is still, um, again, the, the the younger version of that alongside, you know, back in the day when it was Sergio Gomez uh, who left for Borussia Dortmund and is now on loan at Huesca because things didn't necessarily work out for him either. So just saying, like, leaving the club uh, for all those those players. And we've talked about that before, that just because these top prospects have left doesn't mean that their careers have turned out exactly uh, as it would have been. So, you know, you never know with any of these young players, with any of these teenagers. But uh, as I said, there is an expectation for me, hopefully, that whether it's Alverde or any manager, that I want to compliment him on who he can integrate and not necessarily who he just hands out 14 minutes to. Um, and finally, I want to say that uh, Ronald Arajo. it was a tough break against Sevilla getting that red card but uh, I, I like what he's I like what he's done it took him a while just like Louis Barry coming over from West Brom who's just gonna debut and that's actually a tough break for Victor Valdez where they get this this uh, this 16 year old striker from West Brom Louis, Louis Barry who's supposed to be your number nine he was supposed to be the guy he winds up scoring a bunch of goals in the preseason but because of his paperwork couldn't play. So Victor Valdez Mm -hmm. is, for all of his matches, we never even saw him get to play his traditional number nine striker. Instead, it was another player that actually signed in the offseason in Gerard Fernandez. Um, But nevertheless, you don't get to play with your top top striker out there ever, and then you have already lost your job. Uh, so I think that says all you need to say about Victor Valdez, and I think that's a good place to end this show as well. So thanks so much for tuning in. Again, you can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media, too. We're on Twitter, at the Pod or at d 13 for me, on Instagram, at the Pod. Our closed Facebook group that usually gives us our listener questions, that's tbpod.link backslash group. You can also find us on Patreon, where we do all of our quick take match reviews, where those are about 15 to 20 minutes in length, and that is just a breakdown of the match that just happened, as you know, on the show we don't really do exact match reviews we do more big broad topics here uh, you can also find us on youtube where we continue those conversations about those big broad topics uh, this week is more on victor valvez that is the barcelona podcast that's easy to find on youtube and if you need any of this content if you're looking for anything related to anything including articles separate from that i had one about jean clair to yesterday that is at barcelblog.com so check out the subscription buttons. Go to the website, barcelona.com, You can find everything you need there. Uh, and thanks so much for listening to this, the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, I'll talk to you soon. And Forza Barça.
2: Forza.
3: this year for christmas give her the next best thing to wearing nothing at all with soft silky nudie's pajamas available exclusively at pajamagram.com sensuous and smooth nudie's pajamas feel just like her own bare skin nudie's is so seductive she'll love the feeling of wearing next to nothing at all and you'll love the way they look includes free gift packaging and delivery by christmas is guaranteed So visit Pajamagram.com today. That's Pajamagram.com.
0: They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class sedan and GLC SUV. The perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why? What do we know about magnesium?